Good morning. It is indeed a joy and a blessing to be here. We have many visitors. Uh, we are encouraged by your presence, uh, encouraged uh, for everyone here, that, that your love for the Lord, uh, your desire to, to know him more deeply, your desire to, to worship him has brought you here uh, today. I invite you to open your Bibles with me as, as we study uh, together today. If, if there's anything of value to your spiritual life, um, anything that is going to help you come to know God better and, and serve him better. It's going to come from the power of God's word. Uh, that, that's where the power is. This passage that Jonathan just read for us a moment ago, Colossians 2, verses 1 and 2, we, we see Paul here expresses an internal struggle that he is having. Um, he says there in verse one, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And, and, and that word struggle there is actually the same word that's used in 1 Timothy 6 um, when Paul encourages Timothy to fight the good fight. Uh, that's our word struggle, uh, fight here. Uh, in Hebrews 12 verse one, we're told to run with endurance the race set before us. That's actually the same word here. So the, the word, as Paul is describing this internal struggle that he's having, uh, it, it's the word that's used to describe uh, a struggle that a contestant in an athletic competition might go through, um, such as the Olympic Games. And Paul's using that word to describe the intense longing and feeling that he has within himself for these brethren. And what exactly is it that Paul is so uh, adamant about, that he is so um, passionate about on behalf of these brethren? He says, again, if you want to read with me, Colossians 2, verse 1 and 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are in Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. Um, I, I was asked recently by somebody, uh, you know, as Aaron and I, uh, Lord willing, towards the beginning of next year, uh, are, are planning on moving to Missouri, you know, what, 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 what is our, our greatest concern for, for the body here? Uh, as, as we, we move on. Um, and I think Paul's prayer here is a pretty, pretty good answer to that. <laughs> his longing, his str internal struggle, his passionate desire for these brethren is that their hearts may be encouraged that they might be knit together in love. Um, I, I want to focus in particular on that phrase, knit together in love. We need to have a struggle within us. We need to have a passionate desire within us that this body uh, or any body that we're a part of spiritually might be knit together in love. But what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we seek to accomplish that? What does a close-knit church look like? Uh, you might think of a lot of different biblical examples, biblical illustrations that would help us better understand this idea of being knit together in love. Uh, what, one of the basic ideas uh, is that of a body, 
Uh, and when you think about the body of Christ and the way that's used in different places, certainly that communicates us this idea of, of Jesus being the head, him being the authority. We're all united under his authority. Um, but, but we're not just talking about a doctrinal unity when we see this illustration of a body. We're, we're talking about a functional unity, about a close-knit cooperation with one another. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 26. Paul here writes, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Here, the illustration of the body not only communicates to us something about our relationship with the Lord, but our relationships with one another, the type of care that we need to have for one another. You know, when you stub your toe, your entire body is going to react, right? If you get up and it's dark at night and you hit your toe on the bedpost, uh, you know, you might start hopping on one leg. You're going to reach down with your arms to, to that toe. Maybe your, your mouth will cry out, right? Your entire body is involved in what that one part of the body is, is having to deal with, right? Or you eat a nice warm meal, your, your entire body is going to benefit from that, right? Uh, you're going to be nourished um, and, you know, it's going to be enjoyable uh, that, that your entire body is able to, to, to benefit from that. And so we need to be interconnected. If we're going to be what the Bible describes that God intends for us to be, we need to be in tune to one another's needs and feelings and experiences. Uh, you know, we talk about marriage being a one flesh relationship. They're no longer two, but one. But, but do you know when the Bible talks about the church being a body? That's a one flesh relationship, right? Maybe not in the same sense as marriage, but, but we are one flesh, Right? And we're to be unified and caring for one another and, and have a, a, a spiritual and emotional intimacy with one another that could be described as one flesh, as being part of one body. We, we need an intimate understanding of one another's struggles and successes, of one another's joys and sorrows. We, we need to be part of each other's lives. Ephesians 4 and verse 16 uh, we also see this illustration of the body. It says the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself and love. That's, that's God's design for how you and I grow, is that we be knit together. Uh, and, in fact, uh, this idea of held together is the same word used in Colossians 2 and verse 2 when it talks about being knit together in love. The body is knit together, is fitted together. You think about the, the tendons and the ligaments in our body, tendons that, that hold our, our, our muscles and our bones together, uh, the, the ligaments that, that holds our bones to one another, joints that are closely fit together. Um, you know, what, what happens if one of those ligaments tears? Uh, or, or one of those tendons, or, or if, you know, your shoulder gets out of joint, well, it's going to cause great pain to the body. You're not going to be able to function properly. Your entire body is, is, is going to be distracted by that and not be able to do what it's intended to do. And yet, as we think about spiritually what God intends for us to be, if we're not fitted and held together, if we're not clinging to one another uh, in our relationships, then that's going to cause great 
pain to what God intends the body to be, great damage to what God intends for the body to be, the work, the growth that he intends for us to have. I, I want to show you a picture here um, that I saw a couple years back. Uh, and if, if you can't see it clearly, uh, here we have a, a picture of, of our lungs and our heart hugging each other. Uh, and I think maybe our liver and our stomach hugging each other. And then the rib cage is reaching around uh, and, and hugging all of those. And down at the bottom, it says, hugs keep us alive. <laughs> right? Uh, the, the entire body holds together. Right? And, and what happens if it stops holding together? What, what happens if your internal organs stop holding onto each other? <laughs> and they start just kind of moving around wherever they want to well, your body's going to be quite, in quite a bit of trouble, right? No, the way that it functions, the way that God designed it, is that it's packed in together, holds together tightly, and that's how it functions. And if it's not holding together tightly, it's not going to function. So when God uses that illustration to describe my relationship with you and your relationship with me, do you think that's intended to, to emphasize how closely you and I need to be part of each other's lives? Need to be holding together? God wants our relationship as brethren to be more than a distant business relationship. You know, to be distant co-workers. Um, and, and the focus here is spiritual, not primarily sociable, social, but, but, but to work together effectively in the Lord's work. We, we need to spend time together. We, we need to function as ligaments and tendons. We, we need members here who, who are actively taking different parts of the body and, and pulling them together, right? That, that, that's how the body is going to function. That's how we're going to accomplish what God intends for us to be. That's how we're going to grow spiritually. And not only does the Bible use this illustration of a body, but also a family. Look with me in Luke chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. I'll put this on the screen. Uh, we're described as brethren, as brothers and sisters. In Luke 8, verse 21, uh, 20 and 21, it says, And it was reported to Jesus, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brother are these who hear the word of God and do it. Not, not only does this teach us that we should treat our fellow saints as brothers and, and sisters, uh, that we're a spiritual family, but, but that, in fact, our relationships as a spiritual family at times should even supersede that of physical family, right? There, there is a deeper and more important bond that holds us together than just the fact that we share some physical DNA. No, we share a spiritual DNA. We, we share a common father, and we're part of his family. And we need to promote the family values. <laughs> we, we need to be bringing the family together. That's what God intends for us to be. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Timothy is instructed uh, about how he relates with different parts of the body or different parts of the family. He says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To younger men as brothers. The older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Is that how we treat one another? I, I think that applies not only, you know, when, when we have some hard things that we need to say, some hard conversations that we need to have, like Timothy is being addressed here, but, but how we interact day by day. 
do I treat you like I would treat my physical sister, like I would treat my physical brother, uh, like I would treat my, my parents? You know, I, I, I'm going to do more than, than just kind of smile and wave at my mother if she walked in these doors. Uh, I, I'm going to do, do more than carry on small talk with my father. Um, I, I would feel comfortable sharing what's going on in my life, what's on my mind, what's in my heart with my brother and my sister. Those are the kind of relationships we need to have with one another, all the more so. And that doesn't come naturally to us. It's not something that we just kind of stumble into accidentally. That's something that we need to intentionally work at, to develop those kinds of relationships, to develop that kind of closeness one another. That's something that I need to work on. That's something that you need to work on. We continue to see this idea of, of the close-knit nature that God intended for the church to have uh, in a, a frequent instruction in Paul's letters. Uh, at the end of many of Paul's letters, he'll end by saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. What? Why does he say that? He says that in Romans. He says that at the end of 1 Corinthians, at the end of 2 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Thessalonians. Peter, in fact, says a very similar thing in 1 Peter 5 and verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. What is it about that? Why do they keep repeating that? Why do they keep ending their letters with that? I, I think we understand that in our culture um, today, uh, a kiss might communicate something a little bit different than a culture would in their day, right? If, if I give Jared a peck on the cheek, it's probably going to communicate something different than what Paul and Peter were talking about. Um, but the principle that they're talking about applies to you and I just as much as it applied to them. Uh, to them, uh, you know, a kiss of love, a holy kiss, was a, was a common greeting of family and of close friends. It was an affectionate and intimate greeting, an expression of brotherly love. And so if we were going to create a parallel today, it wouldn't just be a holy handshake. It would be more like a holy hug. Um, this is describing a, a type of relationship that we're not just casual acquaintances that see each other once a week and share the church compartment of our lives, Right? Uh, this is describing a familial relationship. And us, even in something as small as how we greet one another, genuinely treating each other like family. Uh, and, and when it says a holy kiss, I think because of our modern context, sometimes we think he's talking about, you know, make sure it's pure and it's not, you know, some impure uh, expression of affection. I'm not sure that would have even entered their minds in the culture of that time. Um, I think primarily what he's talking about when he says a holy kiss is that the affection and the love that they're showing one another is what's supposed to set them apart from the world, right? John 13, 34 and 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. How are they going to know we're Jesus's disciples? But because I have brothers and sisters that I've hardly ever met, and yet I, I, I can embrace them and know that... that they're my brother. They're my sister. Because we have this common bond in the family of the Lord. That, that's holy. That's set apart from the type of relationships that, that we might have in the world uh, around us. I, I think about the, the Huggins household. Granted, hug is kind of in our name. Um, but back when we would get together with my grandparents uh, and my aunts and uncles, my cousins, there was kind of an unwritten rule for a long time that whenever somebody new entered the door, they had to hug everybody before they could sit down. <laughs> now, granted, 
that family got large enough that we had you know, 60, 70, 80 people didn't really become practical after a while. But, but, but that, that was the dynamic of, of the family, right? Um, is that, that we had this affection for one another. Um, you know, praise God when we can have physical families that are also spiritual families. Um, but, but the spiritual family is what, what ties us together even more strongly. That, that is what Jesus lifts word to us is even more important. So those are the kind of relationships that, that we need to have with one another, that we need to think about even in, in the little things of how we express uh, affection towards one another. A fourth concept is that of, of fellowship. I, I hope to address the idea of biblical fellowship in some later lessons in more detail. But, but I want us to, to look back at Acts chapter 2 for a moment. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Here, one of the first things that we read about the, the New Testament church, those who have first responded to the gospel on the day of Pentecost, it says in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Do you see something that's emphasized in this passage? Not, not just once, not just twice, you know, but, but continually in just about every verse. They're together. They're sharing all things in common. It says they were devoting themselves to fellowship. What did that look like? Well, they, they were part of one another's lives. They, they were taking care of each other. They, they were of one mind gathering together in the temple. And when they went home, they weren't just going home by themselves. They, they were taking one another home eating meals together from house to house. They wanted to, to be a family. They wanted to have this relationship with one another. Uh, this is the attitude, I'm here for you and you're here for me. What's mine is yours. We're, we're in this together. And, and granted, biblical fellowship uh, is, is not, you know, having pizza parties together and playing basketball together. We're, we're not simply fellow pizza lovers or, or fellow basketball players or fellow Steelers fans. That's, that's not what's tying us together. We're fellow Christians, fellow servants, fellow laborers. Um, and so biblical fellowship is primarily sharing in the work of the Lord. But, but I think we also need to recognize that to do that effectively, we need to be part of one another's lives, right? Not only were they coming together and devoting themselves uh, to these things with one mind in the temple, they were breaking bread from house to house. They, they, were, they were spending social time t- together in their homes. And, and that's as much a pattern of what the New Testament church looks like as, as these other things, right? And if we're, if we're going to do that, if we're going to be that kind of family, that kind of body, uh, that, that means my house. <laughs> and that means your house and your house and your house, right? We, we need to be spending time together even outside of these four walls, and cultivating those relationships. You know, even the business world recognizes the value of, of team building exercises, right? <laughs> uh, 
uh, and maybe sometimes we, we think some of those things are, are, are silly, but, but th there's a recognition that if we're going to work together effectively, we, we need to get to know one another on a deeper level than, than just the, these tasks that we're doing, right? I think we see that biblically, <laughs> that, that they were part of each other's lives and that they were able to, to bond together as a body and thus work together effectively to the Lord's glory because they were part of each other's lives. There was a genuine fellowship and camaraderie in their work. So we see this very clearly, a body, a family, the way that we greet one another, uh, a fellowship together. Uh, but, but I think it might be helpful to address what pulls us apart. This, this is a challenging thing. It doesn't come naturally. It, it isn't easy. And there are a lot of forces working against us. And let me mention first, uh, one that, that is kind of morally neutral, distance, right? So, so some of the members in, in the flock here live probably over an hour away from each other. We, we already have geography working against us. It's hard to be close-knit and a part of each other's lives when our, our communities are far removed from each other. Um, and so we already have to deal with that. Let, let's make sure that we don't have spiritual forces that are pulling us apart as well. Um, that are creating uh, a distance uh, between us. I think sometimes uh, the distractions of life uh, can pull us apart from one another. Um, and, and Luke 10, Luke 10, 41 and 42, uh, you remember the story of Mary and Martha. And Ma Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking this time uh, to be nourished spiritually, uh, and it says here in Luke 10, 41, uh, as, as uh, Martha comes in and is concerned that Mary's not helping her, it says, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Um, I, I wish I had included on the screen the previous verse. It says she was distracted with much serving. Was that a bad thing? <laughs> was, was what Martha was doing a, a, a morally bad thing, right? She's having Jesus in her home and she's busy making sure that, that food is being prepared to take care of him. That's a good thing. Much serving is a very good thing. But, but sometimes even good things can distract us from what is most important. Uh, and I think that's the case when it comes to our work together as a body. When it comes to our relationships with one another, our service together in the kingdom, uh, sometimes what's pulling us apart might within itself be good things, other good things. Um, what good things might distract us? Uh, you know, sports, school activities, uh, community programs, hobbies, household projects, family events, uh, physical family events, working an extra job, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Um, th there are many different things pulling at our time, pulling at our energy. And some of those things are good things. Some of them may even be necessary things, right? But, but I think we see a concept here with Mary and Martha that, that there are some things that are most important, right? Um, our relationship, our common relationship with Jesus and our relationship with one another, our service together in the kingdom. Um, 
We need to make sure that, that even the good things of life don't take up uh, such a, a, a big portion that they distract us and pull us away, that our much serving pulls us away from, from serving the Lord together, from serving one another. Um, what Jesus puts forward as that uh, of, of greatest importance. Are good things in our lives uh, causing us to be pulled away from our relationship with God and his children, of his body, from worship, from Bible study, from being engaged together in evangelistic outreach, um, from reaching out to brethren who are struggling, from showing hospitality uh, to others? Let's make sure that we are keeping first things first, uh, that the body of Christ uh, is of greatest importance in our, our service to Jesus, right? As much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me, Jesus says. But, but sometimes it's not good things um, that are distracting us. Uh, sometimes it's companionship with the world, developing close relationships. It's not that we're not developing relationships, but we're developing our closest relationships with those who are not part of God's family. Um, with people of the world. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians 6, I'll start reading here in verse 11 and 12. Paul is, is begging the Corinthians <laughs> to, uh, to, to, to listen to him, um, to appreciate what he is saying to them in love. He says in verse 11 and 12, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained by your own affections. Paul saying, listen, our heart is open to you. We want this relationship with you. We're, we're, we're speaking all of this out of love. What, what, what's holding us back, what's pulling us apart is, is your affections. Look what he goes on to describe there. In verse 14, he says, do not be bound together with unbelievers or unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You you see, he's saying that the literal word there is unequally yoked. But but all of those words, the the common yoke, um, the partnership, the fellowship, the harmony, the communion, the, the agreement, all of those should describe our relationship with God's people, right? We're, we're in the yoke together, serving, uh, plowing, sowing, uh, reaping the harvest. But here, Paul is saying that those things are primarily describing their relationship with those who are not seeking to serve the Lord. This is an unequal yoke. And when our closest relationships in, in life are those which are with people who are pulling in a different direction, who are not seeking to serve the Lord, uh, that, that's going to do damage to our relationship with the Lord. That's going to pull us away from him. And it's, it's not that we you know, keep this, this uh, social distance um, from uh, pe- people of the world. Uh, Jesus was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was reaching out to those who needed the gospel most, right? Right. Um, but 
there needs to be some level of, of separation there as well. Look in verse 17. He says, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. We, we, we can't just, you know, be one of the guys. We can't just, you know, be developing our closest relationships uh, and, and being attached to those who, who don't honor the Lord and don't love the Lord, aren't seeking him, uh, and think that that's not going to affect us. And so we need to very actively be developing close relationships um, with those who are going to pull us closer to the Lord. First Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, evil companionships corrupt good morals. James 4 and verse 4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Brethren, if we're closer to people of the world than we are to the people of God, it should come as no surprise if we end up being closer to the ruler of this world than we are to the Lord. Um, we need to very intentionally and actively uh, be developing relationships with those who are going to help us in our service to the Lord and those who we can help in their service to the Lord. Our, our common bond in Christ should be a firmer foundation for friendship than mutual interests and hobbies of this world. If, if we find it easier to develop relationships with people of the world than with our brethren, then perhaps our priorities aren't what they need to be, right? If, if truly what is most important in life to us is serving and honoring the Lord, fulfilling the purpose for which he created us, then, then that should be a, a firm foundation on which our, our relationships can be built. That should be the firmest foundation on which our relationships can be built. So are we developing companionship with the world? Is that why we're not as close with our brethren as we should be? Um, or is it conflicting desires? Look in James 4, verse 1 and 2. James 4 and verse 1 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? What, what's pulling you apart? Is it not the source of your pleasure, uh, the source of your pleasures, uh, that wage war uh, in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The source, he says there, uh, is our, our selfish lusts. Uh, selfish lusts will always do damage to our relationship. Conflicts among us often arise because we first failed to conquer the war within. Um, I think about the, the works of the flesh. Remember in Galatians 5, you have this list of the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And, and do you remember what the works of the flesh are? You know, he starts uh, in verse 19. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensual, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. But then notice what he goes on to say. Enmities, strife, jealousy. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Do you see what, in fact, the majority of the works of the flesh are about? It's about our relationships with one another. What, what's tearing us apart? The flesh is tearing us apart. When, when what is most important to us, what is driving us, what is determining the way that we interact with people from day to day is our own selfish desires and what, what it is that we want, that, that's not going to bring us into unity in one body, right? It's, it's the desires of my body that become 
what's most important and, and your desires and your desires and your desires, and that's not going to bring us together. When, when what is driving us is more the, the desires of my own heart, my own selfish desires, instead of the desires of Christ in my life, that's going to pull us apart. What brings us together is the fruit of the spirit. There being one body with one spirit, right? If if, if we're one body, but we have a bunch of different spirits pulling us in a bunch of different directions, my spirit and your spirit and your spirit and your spirit. uh, Well, then we're not going to be unified. The way that we find unity is by this body being directed by the one spirit and, and the greatest and deepest desires and longings of our heart, not being directed by what I'm feeling in the moment but being directed by what it is that God desires of us. What he desires of me is the same thing that he desires for you. That's going to bring us together. Uh, Look look in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we've referenced a little bit uh, already in this illustration of the body. It says in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. Verse 15, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. Skip down to verse 21. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What's going on here? What's the the problem? You you have these different parts of the body, uh, you know, written to us as if they're they're speaking. and, And what are they saying? You know, in verse 15 and 16, uh, the, you, you hear one saying, well, well, if I can't be an eye or I can't be a hand, then, then I'm just not going to be a part of the body. And, and down in verse 21, you have another part of the body saying, well, fine, we didn't need you anyway, right? If, if the different parts of the body are, are being driven by what they themselves want to do, right? And what they themselves find meaningful and helpful and encouraging, what, what's going to happen? You know, what, what if your hand decides that, that it's really tired of being the one who always has to pick up the food, you know, uh, and, and put it in the mouth, you know, and, and, well, who's serving my needs? You know, why do I have to keep serving the needs of the mouth? And, and if the feet get really tired, say, why, why am I the one who always has to get out of the bed in the morning? You know, and, and why, why can't the rest of the body just take care of itself for a little bit? What's going to happen? If, if the parts of the body are just focused on how they're being served and how they're being affected, the entire body is going to wither and die. The only way that the body works properly is that the hand isn't focused on how, how the hand is feeling, what the hand, you know, how other people are serving the hand and, and whether or not its needs are being met. No, it's, it cares about the body. And the feet care about the body. We need to have the same care for one another. Remember in verse 25. And so our attitude needs to be um, not I'm here for me and what can you do for me and what am I going to get out of this? Even spiritually speaking, our primary attitude is I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here for the body. I'm here for the well-being of, of, of the, the work of Jesus. He's the head and he cares about each and every part of this body. And so I care about each and every part of this body. And that's the way the body grows. That's the way the body functions. If, if I'm being driven by my own desires and, and whether or not my needs are being met, then this body is going to fall apart. It doesn't work that way. So we talked about what pulls us apart. Let's spend the rest of our time talking about what holds us 
together. It should come as no surprise, a common love is what holds us together. Knit together in love, Colossians 2 and verse 2. And we've really been touching on this idea that the contrast of the selfish desire of the different parts of the body and the selfless love that should be driving us. Look look in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. Paul, as he writes to the brethren here in Philippi, he says in verse 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. He talks about a common love, maintaining the same love in verse 2. And he really goes on to describe that love, verse 3 and 4, as he then goes on to talk about the mindset of Christ. How does he describe it? Well, I'm not acting out of selfishness or, or conceit, out of how this makes me feel or how this makes me look. Instead, I'm doing it out of genuine concern for others. Humility of mine, I, I've decided that you're more important than I am. Boy, is that countercultural. You're more important than I am. And that's how God wants me to think. And your needs are more important than my needs. You know, th- th- this crazy thing happens. If, if, if I start deciding that, that I'm no longer going to focus on whether or not my needs are met, and I'm going to focus on whether your needs are met, and if you do the same thing, and you do the same thing, and you do the same thing, what, what happens? Guess what? Everybody's needs get met. That's the design. That's what God intends. And, and that's not that I never express to somebody, listen, these are my needs. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm struggling with. Of course, we're going to have to communicate about those things. But even in that context, it, it's not a selfish desire. It's, you know, uh, it, it's saying, in, in the body, this is what I need right now, so that I'll be able to better serve you, Right? That's God's intent. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. Each member may have the same care for one another. The body should not be made up of those who serve and those who are served. Of those who encourage and those who are encouraged. Those who give and those who receive. If all serve, all are served. If all encourage, all are encouraged. If all give, all will receive. That's that's what God wants us to be. And you might say, well, but, but my needs aren't being served. Well, somebody has to step up and start saying, listen, I'm going to serve regardless of whether or not my needs are met. And when somebody does that, it's going to have a chain reaction. Um, it's going to be contagious. <laughs> that, that others are going to be encouraged by that. Their, their needs are going to be met. They're going to decide that's the attitude that I need to have. And so regardless of what the rest of the body does, each of us need to say, okay, I'm going to have the attitude of Christ. And I'm going to focus on making sure that I have the love of Christ. And along with the common love comes a common goal. 
Notice here in Philippians, uh, a little bit earlier, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether, whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're not running the race alone. We're not fighting the fight alone. We, we, we are in this together. And with one mind, we are striving together, encouraging one another. Down in chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, unite in spirit, intent on one purpose. You, you, you remember we talked about uh, the unequal yoke? in 2 Corinthians 6, where, you know, they're, they're not pulling in the same direction and it's going to pull us out of line. Well, guess what? When you have an equal yoke, <laughs> that's the design that God intends for us to have with one another, that, that we're in the yoke together. We're, we're helping each other in the service of the Lord, pushing in the same direction. We're running the race, fighting the fight side by side. In Philippians 2 and verse 25 Paul describes uh, uh, a man that he had this relationship with, uh, Epaphroditus. He says in verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Do you see how he describes his relationship here? We're we're fellow children of the same father, fellow workers, uh, fellow soldiers. Uh, accomplishing the work of the master, fighting the battles of our heavenly commander. And so we, we need, if, if we all share the, the first and foremost priority in our lives, we want to glorify the Lord. We, we want to, to see his kingdom prosper. We want to do his work. Um, then we're, we're going to be helping each other in that yoke. We're going to be pushing in the same direction. And along with that comes a common effort. I want to look one last time at Ephesians 4 and verse 16. We we read this earlier. But it says, The whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. How does the body grow? How is the body built up? Every joint. Every part doing its proper work. It requires the effort of every member of this body. You know, I I can't get close to you if you don't want to get close to me, right? I I can try, and I should try. (laughs) But, But we have to all be committed to developing these kinds of relationships, um, and I think most of us, we, we hear this, we hear this idea of a family and of a body. And we say, I, I want to be part of that. I want to have those kinds of relationships. I, I want to feel supported in that way. We all want that. But, but if we want to have it, we, we all have to be part of, of making that happen, right? We, we might say, well, I want that, but you know, nobody's really invited me over to their home recently. Uh, and nobody's invited me to go out to, to lunch with them. Uh, and no one's opened up to me about what's going on in their lives. Well, maybe you need to be the one to start that, right? Maybe you need, you need to take the initiative to say, hey, I, I'd love to get to know you more. Let, let's, let's go out to coffee together. 
Let's go out to lunch. How about you come over to my house? You know, hey, my family is involved in this thing. Let's, let's go do it together. We need to be taking the initiative uh, to stop waiting for somebody else to take the initiative. We all have a responsibility and we need people here who are ligaments and who are tendons, who are very intentionally grabbing other people and saying, I want to get to know you and I want to be a part of your life and I want to help you grow and I want you to help me grow. And what a beautiful thing that is when we all do that together. You know, Hebrews 3 uh, verse 13 uh, tells us that we are to encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, uh, lest any of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to loving good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Who are those passages written to? Yeah, it, it wasn't just written to shepherds, right? It wasn't just written to, to evangelists. It's, it's written to you and I, to all of us. We all have that responsibility to consider one another. That, that when, when, you, uh, when you walk through these doors and even when you wake up tomorrow morning uh, at your home, to consider, to think, how, how can I help this body grow? How can I help this group of people be more what God desires for us to be? I, I think it is difficult sometimes, um, you know, when, when we start getting discouraged about some things, when things aren't going exactly the way that we feel like they need to, it's very easy to say, well, you know, I, I, I think the church really needs to do this. And the church really needs to do that. Who do we think we're talking about when we say those things? Like, who is the church? It's, it's, it's me. If I think the church needs to do something, maybe I need to get to work, right? That's the attitude that we need to have. And so I, I challenge you, anytime you, you speak about the church, whether it be this group or, or somewhere else, never talk about it in the third person. We, we need to work on this and we need to do that. that. That's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. I'm part of this body. And so I have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility. Are you knit together in love with the brethren around you? That, this is not an easy thing. It's not something that comes naturally. It's not something that we can do overnight. It's something that we're gonna have to work at and work at tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. We're, we're going to have to put some effort into it. But let, let's make sure that that's what we're striving to do. And we're, we're not always going to be perfect in that. I, we each have areas that we need to grow. Right now, you, you may not feel very equipped to serve some of your brethren in the ways that you'd like to serve them. Well, let's grow in that. Let's each make sure that we're doing everything that we can to grow to help this body be exactly what Paul was praying for those brethren in Colossians to Knit together in love. That, that we, with each joint and each ligament and each part of the body, might be able to grow to the glory of God, to the furtherance of his kingdom and his purposes among us. What about you? 
do you recognize areas that, that you need to grow? Um, you know, it may be that you recognize you're not part of the body of Christ. Um, and if that's the case, Jesus wants to have you as part of his family. He wants to have you as, as part of his body. Uh, if you're willing to submit to the head, if you're willing to surrender your own will uh, to that of the king, to submit your life to the Lord by burying the old man of sin in the waters of baptism, you can be raised to walk a new life, no longer living yourself, but living for him. If you are part of the body, but, but you recognize you're not, you're not really fulfilling your role within the body, then, then won't you change that? Won't you grow in that? If we can help you grow in that, if there's some specific area that you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren uh, or ask for the forgiveness of these brethren, we want to offer you that opportunity. If there's anything that we can do to help you grow today, um, won't you let that be known? If it's of a public nature, we invite you to come forward uh, as we sing this song together.